Well, uh, now we're transitioning. This is our sermon series, The Kingdom of God. We've been starting uh, to have testimonies. We're calling them kingdom stories about stories how the kingdom of God has uh, uh, infiltrated and uh, impacted some of you here in this room. So we have a story this morning, a testimony. I'm going to call uh, Caitlin Morris up. And we're going to hear from Caitlin this morning. Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. Um, just a couple of questions. So, how did you become a Christian? Um, so, is this on? On now? Okay. There yep, there I am. <laughs> um, so, I grew up in a household where we went to church, um, but it was solely a Sunday thing. Um, I grew up, we were a part of a Presbyterian church uh, in Kentucky where I was born and then in Newark where we moved. Um, And my mom was involved in some ways. Uh, My brother and my sister and my dad purely just showed up. Um, And I remember learning the Bible stories, knowing about Jesus, um, but it wasn't until I was probably in about second grade. Um, And some of you would remember the Crossan family um, who used to sit right about where Linda Taylor is. Um, And so I was in the same first grade class as their youngest daughter. Um, And I spent the night one Saturday, and Karen looked me straight in the face. She was like, you spend the night on Saturday, you go to church on Sunday. And I said, okay. Church wasn't a foreign thing for me at that point. Um, But coming here, being in... Nugget Town with Pastor Howard, um, and then eventually going to Hopewell summer camp. Um, it was probably about my second year at Hopewell that there was just something different um, in hearing about Jesus and the relationship and seeing the relationship that these people had. Um, Pastor Devin Blankabeller was giving a sermon about the like sower and the seeds um, falling on the different types of soil. And I just remember sitting there being like, Jesus, I want to be the fourth kind of soil. Like, I want it to stick. I want it to stay. Um, And hasn't been a perfect walk since then, but um, at about 14 was when I kind of made it my own um, and tried not to make it just a Sunday thing. Um, So, and that led to a lot of other things. (laughs) Yeah, so you went... Basically, Bible school, right? Can, and then yep. after Bible school, you, you know, so you can share that story. Uh, yeah. So when I was in, when I was a freshman at University of Delaware, uh, Nate Norman was the youth pastor here, and he took a group up to Elam Bible Institute in college. I might have just been Elam Bible Institute at that point um, for what they call their discovery days, and we spent a weekend on campus. And I came home and told my parents, I was like, I don't want to go to UD. I want to go to this really tiny Bible college that's not even accredited. It really won't give me anything. Um, and my dad, being the practical person that he is, was like, no. Like, we're not paying tuition. You're telling me it's not really going to do you anything career-wise, so finish your four years, then we'll talk about it. Um, and so I finished my four years at UD and didn't think about it um, again until... Uh, probably a year after I graduated and I was back at Tell High Camp. Um, and 
I couldn't tell you what the sermon was. I was a counselor at that point, and um, the, I just was sitting there thinking about it and thinking, grad school's not working out. I don't really know what I want to do. Um, and the Lord dropped Elam back into my heart, and I was like, well, what's a year? Um, so I pretty much left camp, put an application in, um, and the following year I went to Elam, um, where probably about two weeks after being there, um, there was a girl who was on sabbatical from the mission field in my class, and we connected pretty quickly. Her name's Amanda. Um, and not knowing me very well at all, looks at me and goes, you're gonna be on my team in China. And I was like, no, I'm not. Um, <laughs> I, had, I had done the short-term trips to Central America, um, had a love and a passion for traveling and serving, um, not so much the cold evangelism of walking up to a stranger and being like, do you know Jesus? Let me tell you. Um, definitely more of the servant heart of let me be in the background and do all the things. Um, but she kept telling me, she was like, you're going to be on my team in China. And I was like, Amanda, I don't know anything about China. I don't know anything about the organization. And um, she was relentless. Jesus was relentless. Um, and when I said yes to that, uh, doors opened up to things that I wouldn't have even thought. Um, so I said yes initially to four months of college ministry um, in China, um, which is everything outside of my comfort zone. Um, and Jesus knew that, knows that. <laughs> um, but through that, yes, uh, Jesus opened up a door um, for the organization, and they asked me to stay on longer than the rest of my team who I went with, um, and he opened the door for me to get to do uh, kids' ministry and serving families who were long-term missionaries with this organization. Um, and so it was, I got to work with kids, which is something that's a huge part of my heart, um, and I got to be a service to families so that they could do out, go out and do the things that they felt the Lord was calling them to do. Um, and so that is how I ended up spending 10 months overseas <laughs> uh, in three different countries. So kind of the last question here is, you know, overseas, you know, um, in your life, like, have, have you experienced or ever been surprised by the work of God in, you know, <laughs> profound ways throughout um, all that experience? Yeah, I guess the biggest way uh, for me was, one, uh, the Lord providing every single thing I needed financially before I left. Um, so I had pretty much from May until August to raise funds to be gone for 10 months. Um, and in the middle of me being gone was when COVID happened. Uh, so I was on the other side of the world. And through all of the changes and unknown circumstances that happened of leaving the country, not being able to get back into the country, going to a totally different country than was ever part of the plan, um, not once did I ever have a financial need for anything. Um, so the Lord had brought in the resources that I needed before I even knew I would need them. Um, I had gone above the fundraising goal um, 
because of a lot of your generosity in this room. Um, and so it was just the Lord increased my trust and my faith in him that he, he sees what's going to happen before it happens. Um, that I can fully trust and rely on him even when my ground feels shaky. And I'm like, do I have the money to, you know, go to this other country and live there for four months before coming home? And I did, and the Lord provided, and I was still able to serve in all of the ways that were intended, even if it looked a little different than we thought. Um, and that was just a, a confirmation of before I left, someone spoke the verse Hebrews 10, 23 over me, and the end part of that is, he who has promised is faithful. Um, and so I guess that's the biggest thing. Yeah, no, that's excellent. Well, thank you, Caitlin. Yeah. We appreciate it. Can you give her a round of applause? Awesome. Thank you. Very good. Well, fantastic. Well, maybe somebody in this room is now stirred to say, I, I want to do that. Well, talk to Caitlin. Talk to Caitlin. The need is always there. Okay, so we are going to jump right into the sermon this morning. Um, if you have your Bible, turn into Matthew chapter 11. Um, this is our Kingdom of God series. We're looking at uh, uh, God's kingdom uh, in Jesus Christ and Him's and breaking it into this world through the ministry. Uh, and power of the Spirit of God. Looking at Matthew and all the different ways that Matthew talks about the kingdom of God, certainly not exhausting it, but looking at it between now and Easter. We're looking at the entire chapter of Matthew 11. So the sermon's three and a half hours, so just get comfortable. I'm kidding, it's not three and a half hours. Um, so let's dive into this. Beginning in verse one. This is page 965 in the Red Pew Bible. After Jesus had finished instructing his disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. Now when John heard uh, in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back. Report to John what you see and what you hear. What you hear, what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Now we've heard some about John the Baptist in this sermon series already. At this point, he is in prison. Read Mark chapter 6. You'll learn more about what got him in trouble and in prison. It's an interesting story, to say the least. But as he was in prison, he heard of what Jesus was doing. And the unique thing is that John was confused, not by what Jesus wasn't doing, okay? Shouldn't the Messiah be doing this or doing that? He heard what Jesus was doing, and that's when he sent his disciples on his behalf to go. And this is Daniel's translation of John's question, all right? So I thought, this is, you know, I thought you were the Messiah, Jesus. I, I know the Bible. I know when the Messiah comes. 
Um, I know there's going to be judgment when he comes on the world and on the wicked, but I, but I hear what you're doing, and, I, and I'm not hearing so much the acts of judgment. I'm hearing about, I'm not hearing about these fires, cleansing fires, like you remember Matthew 3 when John talked about this coming ministry. He's like, what I'm hearing about is you healing people, raising the dead, the blind seeing, the lepers being cleansed, the paralyzed are walking, right? It, it, it's, that's great, but who is, is that you? Like, is this, are you the one? Like, did I get this wrong? Like, is there somebody after you that's coming? Uh, should we keep waiting for this Messiah? And Jesus sends back this rather short and succinct message, right? Tell John what you see and hear, right? Because the ministry of the church is not just about hearing, it's about doing, right? So John, or Jesus says, guys, watch, <laughs> you know, actually see what's happening here. The lame walk, the lepers are healed, deaf are, deaf are hearing, the dead are being raised, the poor are receiving the good news. And he says, and blessed is the one who does not get offended, as some of your translations may say, offended, who does not fall away on account of me, or on account of what they're seeing. Now, John was clearly expecting Jesus to bring that, you know, that fire and that judgment that we, we see in Matthew chapter 3. And it, Jesus was doing that, but in a very unexpected way. He was bringing healing, mercy, grace, and supernatural activity by the power of the Spirit. And Jesus now takes a minute break here as the crowds are still there, and this happens in the midst of kind of a big, you know, time of ministry, and he wants to explain to them a little more about John, about the kingdom of God and all of this. So he, begin, he continues on in verse 7. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. He says, what did you go out into the desert to see? All right, you remember my caricature of John? He was the, the wild-eyed crazy guy. Um, you know, probably just get a little weird looking at him like he's like, oh, like a really passionate, just really intense guy, right? That's probably John the Baptist. Like, where did you go out to the desert, desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothing? He was dressed in like camel's hair, all right? No. He says, no, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. And I tell you, more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth. Among those of women... This is a crazy verse. Among those of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. It's a wild statement from Jesus. And the next sentence is even wilder. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Right, just let that ruminate, right? For the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. For all of the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's break this down, right? Jesus says, basically, look, all of you went to listen to John and be baptized by him. Because you heard about a strong guy in the wilderness, confident, not swayed by anyone, very bold in his preaching, as you saw in Matthew chapter 3, who was dressed up just like Elijah was in these Old Testament prophets living in the wilderness, right? You were looking for a prophet, and you found one. 
But here Jesus kind of does a hodgepodge of scripture quotations. He looks at Exodus 20 and also a verse in Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. And he points to John's unique role of preparing the way for God's messenger to come. And this role caused John the Baptist to be what he said. His his role of introducing the Messiah, he says, it caused him to to be the greatest person ever born from woman. That's a wild statement. But however, that's nothing, apparently, because in this new kingdom Jesus is ushering in, which will drastically change everything, that even the least in this coming kingdom and the role and the position they will have in that kingdom will be greater than John, right? A little translation here. If you read these Old Testament prophets and you're like, you know, in all of their ministries and all of their boldness and all of these things, well, guess what, friends? If you're a Christian this morning, you have inherited a role even greater than theirs. That's what Jesus is, is, is pointing towards. And we'll, we'll talk about that some as we move on. Ever since John started preaching and the kingdom of God was inbreaking into this world, you know, we've been seeing this, this spiritual aspect of the, the kingdom of this world coming into battle with the kingdom of heaven, right? Through the healing, through the demon, you know, uh, exorcisms and just the, 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 the preaching and, and the, you know, Jesus actually being tempted by Satan in Matthew chapter 4. I mean, it's been a clash, right? And he's saying, like, it's, it's been a rough go, right, since John's preaching. This kingdom of heaven is it's breaking to the world. There's lots of force and struggle, and there's even some violence happening, referring to the spiritual battle, probably. Yet John was metaphorically speaking the return of Elijah that Malachi mentioned. The very, if you look at the very last verses of the Old Testament, It mentioned that Elijah is going to come before that great and awesome day of the Lord, which would lead us into judgment, right? And everybody expected that global judgment upon the return of this Messiah. And the messenger was to go ahead and say, get ready, right? And John did that. He fulfilled his role. Now, the crowd is probably at this point kind of confused. It's like, all right, so like John, we're kind of looking for this kind of ministry, but you're still like, what are you doing, Jesus? Jesus is a master teacher. He messes with people all the time. He like gets in their head and kind of like just messes with them, okay, all the time. And I love his, his, his style. He was messing with their expectations, right? They didn't realize that when Jesus mentioned all the works that he was doing, so go tell John what you see, he wasn't just pointing to things that he was doing. He certainly was. He was quoting other verses, in the Old Testament as well. Ancient prophecies. Let me read this here. From Isaiah 35, 4 through 6. When God comes, he is bringing vengeance. That's the judgment. You you think of like judgment, right? He will come and save you. But what is he going to do? Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf unstopped. Lame men shall leap like a deer. The tongue of the mute shall sing. Right? Judgment, but healing. Just bear with me here. Isaiah 42, 6 through 7. He says, this is kind of paraphrased a little bit here. I am Yahweh. I will give you as a light for the nations to do what? To open the eyes that are blind. To give out, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Isaiah 61, 1, 2, 3. The spirit of the Lord is upon me anointing me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and to proclaim 
the vengeance of our God. They saw Jesus, they heard him, they observed his miracles, but people were really looking for that judgment piece, and they were missing the fact that Jesus was standing right before them, doing the works that were prophesied that he would do, and they didn't, they missed him. They missed him, right? They thought that when Messiah comes, this judgment was coming, and uh, it would lead to him installing himself as king and uh, uh, overthrowing Rome, and, and God's kingdom would be permanently set up. And that will happen, friends, right? But his first coming was different, and their expectations weren't quite met, and they missed the ministry of Jesus. They missed the signs of the kingdom. That's what Jesus goes into, verse 16 here, right? He expounds upon their missing these signs. He continues on. To what can I compare this generation? This is Jesus talking. They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others, we played the flute for you, but you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating or drinking, and they say, well, he's a glutton. He's a drunkard. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. Verse 20, then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles have been performed because they did not repent. Now you see the, 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 the prophet side of Jesus coming out here, right? <laughs> Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Those are all ancient cities in Israel. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago and set cloth in ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No. You will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you, that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. The kingdom of God came in with great struggle and also with great denial. Many did not embrace the ministry of Jesus even after seeing these signs. Um, presumably because they were looking for Messiah, like we mentioned, to come in with judgment and authority to set up himself as king, but yet the dead are being raised and the sick are being healed. It was like... You know, if you're ever at a wedding and somebody starts playing Neil Diamond's Sweet Caroline, what happens in the room? Now it's stuck in your head, I know. Blah, 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 right? Everybody's dancing, they're singing along. Like, you can't help but sing that song. I don't care how old or young you are, right? You can't help but respond. Like, blah, 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 you know? Um, that's what Jesus is basically saying, right? Um, but imagine someone playing Brown Eyed Girl or, you know, Sweet Caroline at a wedding reception. Um, and bands just playing their heart out, and everybody's just kind of going. It's like, that's not an equal response here, right? That's, that's, you're not responding to the right thing. Like, you're, you're responding as if you're listening to, uh, oh, geez, I don't know, like Hank Williams, like, I'm so lonesome I could cry, you know? Like, you, you got this wrong. Like, you got the wrong tune, and you're responding in the incorrect way. Jesus' whole idea here, I know, listen, I'm an old man at heart, all right? I listen to stuff that's 50 or whatever. Jesus' whole idea here is that the music of the kingdom was playing right before their eyes, but they were not responding to the tunes. 
In fact, his and John the Baptist's very ministry before them were being accused as actually being sinful and even demonic. That's how bad they got it wrong. Now think about that for a moment. It's, it's easy to think that, well, if I was there, like, I would totally have recognized it, like, no issue. I would have been, you know, his right-hand guy, like, recognizing it all. And, um, you know, it's, it's easy to, to, to think that, but he, he goes th- farther in this passage we just read. He starts naming all of these cities in Israel of his day, that saw his signs and did not respond in repentance. Chorazin and Bethsaida, Capernaum, a lot of those in the northern um, regions of, of Israel there. And he says that if the miracles that they saw were performed in Tyre and Sidon or Sodom, these are Old Testament cities. You can read about those in the first part of your Bible there. These were pagan places. These were not God-fearing places. They were full of ancient pagan cities that had... Um, pretty bad reputation for things that were happening there. Just go read about Sodom and Gomorrah and you'll, in Genesis and you'll see how rough it got, okay? Yet Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum, these are towns filled with people who claim to fear God. Jesus performed miracles amongst the religious, if you will, and they didn't recognize him. Yet he's saying in a very controversial way, if I was to go back in time, friends, and go to Sodom and be doing the ministry I'm doing now, they would have repented and that city would still be here. Now that's a really cutting remark. If you're like the audience who's from Capernaum, you're like, whoa, hold up a minute. Like, are you talking to me? Like, he's going after them here, right? Here's a pattern in the Gospels. It is this. The religious crowds usually, most of the time, did not recognize Jesus. But the ones you would not expect did recognize him. Now, is it possible that you and I today could also miss Jesus if he was walking among us today? We've talked about this off and on, but this is kind of what Matthew 11 really is about, right? Here's the reality. Kingdom ministry is representative of the work of God and of the reign of God breaking into this world through his Holy Spirit, through his people. But even though everything Jesus was doing was found and prophesied, I mean, it was in the Bible. I mean, I I didn't even break down half of all the quotes that Jesus made as he's referring to scripture after scripture about what he was doing. Even though everything he was doing was fully representative of who God is, all of God's heart, his character, was fully represented in the ministry of Jesus. Somehow people still did not recognize it and even said it belonged to Satan. Jesus ends in chapter 11 with some words on who will understand the kingdom work around them. Who, are, who, are, who is the kind of people, who are the kind of people that will recognize? I'm from Georgia, all right? Just give me a break with my sentence problems. Um, who will recognize the work of Jesus? What kind of people do those need? So verse 25, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned. And reveal them to little children. 
Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So children do not have the world figured out, right? Their worldview is small, it's precious, and they're like sponges, right, who are easily just find themselves in awe and in wonder over the most simple of things. When they are in pain, they run. Like yesterday, Micah got hit in the eye with a Nerf dart, right? And he ran straight up to me, just blah, just bear hug. He was fine in a minute. But that's what, that's, what, that's what kids do. They're in pain. Where do they run? They run to their mom or dad or those who they know love them. They run into their arms, trusting that that person can help them heal and to feel better. Jesus' message here, uh, it, it kind of feels like a message that our Western kind of reason, scientific world would not really be drawn to. And that is perfectly okay because our job is not to make this message that Jesus preached, the message of Christianity, more palatable to our world, but do our best to simply get what Jesus said and just speak it into our current context. And this is kind of how we can do that to my best abilities today is is time and time again, as you will see, and will be repeated often in the Gospel of Matthew when the kingdom is spoken about and the kinds of people that uh, with their inner disposition who will be in a place to actually receive the good news, the kingdom and its signs will be understood and recognized by those who are most like children in and within their disposition towards God and towards others, whom we may think is wise or learned in this world, we should be expect, uh, expect them to be at high risk for missing Jesus and his kingdom work, even if it happened right in front of their eyes. Jesus was once again quoting Isaiah when he said that prayer there. Listen to Isaiah said it in Isaiah chapter 29. I mean, Jesus is always constantly quoting scripture, right? So Isaiah 29, he's alluding to this, verses 13 through 14. These people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they have been taught. Therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. That's Isaiah 29. The wisdom of the wise and intelligent, intelligence of the intelligent is not referring to those necessarily who are wise in God, right? Or, the, or intelligent in the ways of God, but as he said, their worship of God. So where it gets interesting. Their worship of God, so apparently these people were worshiping or trying to worship God, but it was based on merely human rules. Or if you had a very literal translation from Hebrew, it would, it would say, based on rules that they had been taught. It's like, interesting. Taught by who, right? Well, not God, he said. Humans. That's the idea. People taught something about God that actually, it wasn't reminiscent of God's heart and what he asked them to teach. And this is a challenge that Jesus is presenting before his audience here. 
All these religious people, they think they got it figured out and the Son of God is right in front of your face and you can't even recognize me. What have you been taught? That's what he's saying. What exactly, like, yeah, I know you're trying to worship God, but I'm, God is in front of you and you don't see him. Like, what, what are you looking for? The wisest of Jesus' day missed him. We have to ask as Christians this morning, we have to do the really hard work and challenging work of trying to discern something very, very, very important. If there's one important question of our life for the rest of our Christian life, like, guys, this is, this is it, all right? The Holy Spirit's inside of us because of this, right? For, uh, just, here we go. Israel's biggest sin in the Old Testament, if you read the first part of your Bible, was the Old Testament. It wasn't really a lack of faith, all right? can't really necessarily say that. It wasn't because of lack of worship of God. Worship of God was there, like Isaiah said. They were worshiping God. It was a worship of God syncretized with worship of false and counterfeit gods all around them. Jeremiah spoke of this a lot in his book. You can read about it. And that's eventually what destroyed Israel. They got God and they got a lot of other gods and tried to you know, put it all together, right, into this hodgepodge. And as they were trying to throw it all together, they missed God entirely. So have you allowed worldly wisdom, that is the wisdom from the world that says, this over here is life-giving. This over here is good for you. This over here is how you should live. These are the things you should desire. These are the things you should value. These are the ways you should treat your neighbor and think about this people group. These are the ways. Have you got some of those things and then get your Christian faith and, and try to like make this pretzel of kind of connections to say, you know, I want to make Jesus somehow agree with some of this stuff over here because I kind of like this stuff. And I can kind of grab a verse here or there and kind of make it all kind of come together here and have this hodgepodge of Christianity plus worldly values that don't actually go together. And that's really a very difficult thing to break apart in our lives because you and I are the best liars ever, right? We can lie to ourselves so much and convince ourselves that maybe the Bible says this here, but because of these external kind of worldly values, you know, the Bible might actually mean something that kind of agrees with this. So you find that one verse, pull out of context and make it work. Or we just don't really want to take seriously the parts of the Bible in our Christian faith that really challenge what we would believe. If you're a Christian this morning, my question for you is this. When is the last time that you were challenged by what you believe after reading the Bible? Like, what is the last time you thought to yourself after either praying, reading the scriptures, or observing God's work in somebody else's life that you're like, huh, I don't have a box for that. That really kind of blows my mind a little bit. I don't have a box for this. Huh. Because oftentimes we're so prideful that when that moment comes, we just kind of like dismiss it because we don't want to be challenged. We don't want Jesus to kind of come in and blow those parts up. We want to act like we have it all figured out and kind of keep him out of there and prevent ourselves from being conformed to what he wants us to be conformed to, which is his image, which is his present work among us. We're like, I just rather kind of stay steady on the status quo. I just kind of want to stay here, Jesus. I, I, I think I have you figured out. I'm good. Like, stop. I don't, I don't want you to blow, just, just, I'm good. I got it figured out here. 
This is the question that begs yourself in this story, okay? Who do you identify with in this story? If you're a Christian, it may be super easy to identify with Jesus. The ones calling out the religious people. It's like, yeah, religious people. No, no, no. Yeah, those, you know, blah, blah, blah. But maybe, just maybe, you are the religious crowd. That's kind of why these stories exist, right? Like, we're supposed to learn how to, who, who to identify with here. And I'm not saying, I'm not casting blame or accusing you of anything. I'm just saying, these stories are here, and my question is, who are you identifying with? Just maybe, it's so easy to identify with Jesus, but maybe you're the, one, maybe you're the religious crowd. That Jesus right now is in your life, just working and calling and pushing you to just go to your next door neighbor, invite them over for dinner and just begin investing into them. But their life is a mess. You know, like, I, don't, I can't have those people in my own. I'm, I'm good. Like, I don't really have that relationship yet. I'm just going to keep it how it is. But his spirit's like, no, they need me. They need me. Do it. And he's like, ah, no, we're good. I'm good over here, right? What if you're that religious person? I want that to sit. I want you to pray about that, right? That kind of mentality, it requires humility, and this is where we're going to end today. To be able to ask that question, to be able to be honest with yourself, to be able to really say, Jesus, I, I've said this so many times, like, if you don't read the scriptures or read the gospels and see the work of Jesus, and if, if he does not continually leave you just in awe, or so, like all these people all throughout these pages were so challenged and often so confused by Jesus. They didn't have a box for it, right? And I, I think that if we understand uh, how the scriptures speak of Christ, it will leave us in the same position often. And that's a wonderful thing because you always got to be wrestling with who Jesus is. The Spirit's always trying to show you more of him. And so if you're willing to say a prayer, Jesus, I want more of you. Like I want you to burst all those comfort things inside of me and to lurch me into the next stage in my Christian growth. Like I want that so much. Like where does it start? Jesus gave us a clue there. He said it actually, not even a clue, very explicitly. You need to be like a child. Did you catch when he said that? He revealed these, these things happening, not to the wise or those who got it all figured out and they're good and they're cruise control. No, no, no. He's, the children, they see it. You spend enough time with Jesus and have the disposition within to still allow him to amaze you and to challenge you, to read the gospels and try not to identify with the son of God so much who has it all figured out because he's God in the flesh, right? But rather with those whom he ministered to, those who are, you are much more like in many ways, right? Those who are still wrestling with what Jesus was doing. And in doing so, you just may find that you are much more like those confused crowds more often than not. Because as we said, Jesus can be a confusing person. <laughs> but maybe that is the point, right? Because God is bigger than you. You are finite. He is infinite. If you expect Jesus to agree with what you believe, what you think, and you've essentially tried to place yourself as the authority that Jesus has. The goal here is to remain childlike because children are needy. Boy, are they needy. I can tell you, right? Those of you who have had kids, you know, you've been around kids, if you're a teacher, whatever, if you've been around kids, they're needy, right? 
They are weak and they know this. They know that their own strength is nothing compared to the parents or those who were caring for them. That when they stub their toe, they need the healing touch from their parents. They cannot live independence, as my four-year-old son, Nathaniel, always says when I say, put on your shirt. He says, Daddy, I can't do anything by myself. That's like his phrase every day. But didn't Jesus say that that's how we need to think about him? Right? I can do all things not by myself, but by who? Him who strengthens me. Do you see this, right? Now here we end with the famous words in which this passage ends with, right? Verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, come all who are wise and have everything figured out. No. Come all who are strong, who don't need help. No. Come all who are weary. Come all who are burdened. And I will give you rest. Take off that yoke that is burdening you. And put on the yoke of Christ and learn from him because he is gentle and he is humble and you will find the rest that you are searching for. You will find rest, friends. I'm going to call the worship team up at this time. Maybe this morning you need to cast off that yoke of pride, maybe of arrogance. Maybe this morning you need to cast off the yoke of sin confess and repent and to turn. Maybe this morning you need to humble yourself and finally come up and receive prayer for God to heal you this very morning. Maybe there's faces and names that you know that desperately need the gospel that you were close to, that you have not uh, uh, been the witness of the ambassador of the gospel to, and those faces and names are popping up in your mind, that you have been avoiding that that you need to turn from that and pray for the strength and boldness to go. And maybe you just need to come up this morning and just say, Jesus, Holy Spirit, I need more of you. I need more of you, God. I need you. I feel weak to do this. I feel helpless. I need more of you. Wherever you are on that spectrum, we're going to sing a song. Our elders will be up front. Um, please come and be ministered to. Please come and receive prayer this morning or stay in your seats and pray. And so uh, let me close. Uh, Jesus, um, Lord, I just want you and just all your just amazing and complex, yet so just elementary and simple, just everything about you is just so amazing. Lord, I, w- I want you in front of this people. Lord, your, your spirit came down on us in order that we may uh, be filled with you and we may mirror you in our lives and you were constantly trying to refine us and to grow us and to push us so lord i pray for any way that the spirit may have been stirring in the hearts of those in this room lord give them the courage to respond lord that we may not just be hearers of the word but doers as james said that even this week perhaps that the 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 course of our daily habits and rhythms may take an alteration lord in light of the work of your spirit this morning 
Lord, I pray that friends and family of all those in this room who don't know you would, would feel the effects of your Spirit's work and even the work that you did this morning in the hearts of those here, Lord. This church could really continue to fulfill that, that calling to be a lighthouse, Lord, to those who desperately need it in our city and in our neighborhoods. Lord, I pray over all of this, Jesus, asking that the ministry that you do, Lord, is something that I, I, I cannot do, but only your spirit, Lord, that you would do that this morning, Lord. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.